The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and I'm about to be joined by veteran White House correspondent April Ryan, who has a brand new book out called Black Women Will Save the World. And just to give you sort of the full setup here, 2015 was the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. So I was literally on my way to a speech, I think in like Minnesota, I think, (laughs) Wisconsin. I know I was like in the Midwest somewhere. And I got a call on my phone and it said White House. So I answered it. It literally just said that. It said White House. And I picked it up. I said, hello. (laughs) And the person on the other end of the phone said, hi, Zerlina. I just wanted to let you know that the president is traveling to Selma on Saturday uh, for the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday on Air Force One. And he is inviting five journalists, five black journalists to come with him on the trip on Air Force One to Selma. And um, we wanted to know if you wanted to come. And I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Did you just say that you wanted me to come to Selma on Air Force One with President Obama? That's what you just asked me? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I think I have like a speech on Saturday, but that's canceled. Um, I, I literally had to withdraw from a speech that I had signed a contract to do um, because of of that trip. And so on that Saturday morning, show up at Andrews Air Force Base. And it was like, we I got there really early. Me and Rembert Brown were the most early I, we've ever been for anything ever in the history of life. And we were sitting there, he and I, because we were the most early of the five journalists because we were the youngest. So I think we were like the most scared <laughs> in the situation. And we're sitting there petrified because we're like, why are we here? <laughs> and like, how did we get here? And what is happening? And this is nuts. Um, and then coming in, not as early as us, but on time, uh, was April Ryan, Charles Blow, and Eugene. My cat just jumped on me. Um, from the from uh, USA Today, and us five got on Air Force One together. We sat in the section of the plane um, where they put us with a black Secret Service agent. So if you can just imagine for a moment, we're five black journalists with a black Secret Service agent in one section of Air Force One going to Selma for the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. (laughs) And that is a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. We all were able to have the privilege of asking the president on the record questions on the way to Selma. And when we got there in the motorcade, I'll never forget it, 
um, we were driving through in the motorcade and people were out on the streets, like I said, like Ali in Africa. And when we got to the Edmund Pettus Bridge and we got up to the top and you could see over, it was just people. It was just a sea of people, faces to, you know, miles and miles it felt like. And I remember April being like, oh, my God. (laughs) And so all of that to say, I'm incredibly privileged to be joined by veteran White House correspondent April Ryan. And as you heard, I was just reminiscing about the once in a lifetime experience of going to Selma for the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. But that's just one of the things that you have done in your storied career. So thank you so much for joining and talk about your brand new book. Black women will save the world. Yes, we will. An anthem. Yes, Good morning. we do. Good morning, <laughs> You know what? You were so kind with your reminiscence of the Edmund Pettus Bridge and, and the 50th anniversary flying in on Air Force One with President Obama. I remember that. I remember screaming. You guys yes. were on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. No, I blew Charles Blow's ears out because I was <laughs> screaming. I remember that. And then I also remember when you were regaling, I I completely forgotten about a lot of stuff, but I remember that, you know, they said, oh, we have a little bit of time. And I ran to the bathroom and you guys went in to the boardroom, um, to the conference room with the president. And he was like, they were like, where's April? And I thought I had time. (laughs) And I remember it so well, but those are the Those are the memories, right? Yes. I mean, it, 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 I sometimes have to, so, this is a true story. Since that happened, there will be days where I'll like, I'll be falling asleep and I will like jump out of my bed and I'll be like, did that actually happen in my life? Like that, it's such a surreal memory Are you serious? Oh that my it, it just feels so like it didn't happen. Like you didn't just fly on Air Force One. And then I think the whole experience just it, we're with the black president, we're all black journalists. Yeah. We're flying yeah. to Selma on the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday a yeah. place where people were beaten um, yeah. in order to just simply get the right to vote for a president. And now we are flying with the first black president. It was, yeah. it, it, it was the full circle. John Lewis was moment. there. Exactly. Yes. Still, still there. Yep. They are yet still a lot. It was, and to watch, and you know, that's where I actually met Shirley Ralph. Oh, wow. Um, Shirley Ralph and her husband and because she was, because remember, we had those bag lunches and, yep. and those bags. She said, where do you get that, sis, from? I said, oh. I Air said, Force I One. Air Force One. And she took a picture with me in the bag. That was crazy. And Shirley Ralph, my soror, now my soror, and friend, we've been friends ever since. Oh, I love but that. that moment, yeah, that moment produced so much. So many different people were there for that moment. Her and her husband, uh, Senator Vincent Hughes from Pennsylvania, it was just, it was an amazing moment. But yeah, that, it was, you, you know, thank you for reminiscing and remembering because sometimes you forget and um, it's important. And those, and, and thinking about Selma and Selma in particular, when we talk about Black women saving the yeah. world, did you feel like Selma looked, if you take a sepia tone picture, Selma looked like the same way it did back when, it Bloody really Sunday. did. It really did. Like the bridge changed. in particular, because it's all the rusty. Yeah, it, it really looks like it did in 1955. Right. <laughs> 1965. But, but just a few years ago, when it was Roy Moore against Doug Jones, yep. Black women refused to go back to that racism, that ugliness, that misogyny from years ago. It was Black women 
who changed that dynamic in a town that still looks the same as it was right about it's, 60 years, 60 it's, some years it's such an important point about the power of black women in saving democracy and i can't think about a more important moment to reflect on that as american democracy sort of hangs in the balance here Again, mm-hmm. the midterm elections, everybody's going to say it's November 8th, but I've been saying on my show, it is today, tomorrow, the next day, all the way up it's until every day. November right. the 8th, because early voting right. has already begun. Um, right. Talk about Black women's organizing power. I mean, I think mm. when we start with the context of Selma, and even you know recently I had a great conversation with Soledad O'Brien about the Rosa Parks documentary. I mean, Black women mm-hmm. have been organizing in the civil rights space and also in the voting rights space for generations. We are organizers. We save democracy all the time, like every cycle. Um, talk about the power of black women and why you, you wanted to focus on that power for this book. Because we are so powerful. We are <laughs> a large base uh, for the Democratic Party. Um, we are a large source of strength and power for any party that should not ever be discounted or taken for granted. But here's the issue. We lead in the home. We're rising in number as head of the household. We're rising in number as the breadwinner. And you have to remember, we have been leading since we came to this soil, Zelena. We've been leading since we came here. Since slavery, they've taken our men from us, broken families, and women had to still stand in the home, keeping things together. You know, it starts, it's a generational thing. And we've, when we see something, we intrinsically go to move. You know, Cornell Belcher, our friend Cornell Belcher, brilliant corners, Democratic pollster, did a study, and, and it's in my book. He found that when Black women serve, particularly in politics, we serve to lift the community. We serve for love of the community. And that's what a lot of these grassroots organizations, you know, do. Everyone, I mean, I'm telling you, during the Congressional Black Caucus, um, uh, this last one, that the first one that came back since COVID, mm-hmm. Campbell, Melanie Campbell, uh, the convener of the Black Women's Roundtable, who has the ear of the president as well. She goes in with many of the civil rights leaders and makes, you know, uh, conversations about different issues for Black women and Black people. And she had around that square table had to been over 50 women's organizations, grassroots folks. Again, when we serve, we serve out of love. We serve for the need to make things better for ourselves and our children and our families in spite of. And Zerlene, I go back to um, a story that was given to me by Frederica Newton, the widow of Huey P. Newton, the founder of the Black Panther Party. She said their activism, their action was out of love for the community, young people. But more importantly, guess what? The majority of the membership happened to be 70% Black women. Mm. Yeah. And it was a group that was vilified back in the day, but now now they're celebrated for all they did for the community. It, it's so important to hone in on the fact that black women do it out of love, um, yeah. because I yeah. think that, you know, that is very different from some other groups of people who organize power for power, for, for the purpose of, yeah. of yeah. Make, 
getting and maintaining and keeping and holding and hoarding power and money right. and resources and wealth. Um, and that's just not, that's not our mission. That's not our vibe. We are trying to make everything a little bit freer for, for everybody else, not just ourselves. <laughs> I mean, we would like to also be free. Um, but you know, with our freedom comes, um, everyone else's. One of the things, what, what, one of the other things I was thinking about as we came on air was you are a veteran white house correspondent. So your book is focusing on the, the power and impact of black women in the political space, but I can't think of anybody else in America more, impactful in terms of being in the room being in the briefing room getting <laughs> firsthand you know the message from the people who are governing the rest of us all the black women the, the people in charge um talk a bit about all the presidents that you have covered because um it's been a it's been a wild ride i mean you've been in the briefing room for some crazy stuff including the tan suit <laughs> the tan suit wasn't crazy i know I i'm joking it's a was- joke <laughs> The world lost their minds over President Obama's tan suit. I thought it was hot. I, you know, <laughs> anomaly. I thought it, I was like, okay, now come on. Because I'm going to tell you, to be honest with you, as a human being, you know, you watch the presidents, it's, it's like all the suits are bruised, you know, yep. it's the dark colors, bruised, black or blue, you know. And then and then you have that, that splash of color with the tie. I'm like, and then he walked out with that tan suit. I said, okay, now I see you. And it, <laughs> tan suit but it was a nice tan suit so not about the tan suit i i still don't know why everybody lost their mind me either bruce i'm like i thought it was fashionable i mean so as fashionable as a president could get it was see- it was inappropriate season i should mention it was spring it was, it was mm-hmm. right around easter time so he had his easter suit yeah and I- what it's it's <laughs> i mean i was i was sort of saying it sarcastically um and one of the things that i always you're so crack up about is my boss on the Clinton campaign, Jen Palmieri, she was, she was the communications director when that happened. And she Uh actually in her office, she said she thought for a moment that perhaps she did a bad job that day. Like, because it became such a big deal. She was like, maybe I should have stopped him from going over there in the tan suit. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, we love the tan suit. I love the tan suit because it broke up the monotony of all those bruised colors, the blacks and the blues. I was like, okay. And he looked good in it. I stand by it. Okay. That's it. So now moving on. I I was like, okay. It was fine with me. People just just go, you know what? People don't have enough to do because they made a frenzy over a suit choice. I'm like, we got other things to deal with. Little did we know what we had in store in the next presidency. Um, Yeah, that was four years of pain. Talk about the pain. How did your life change in covering the White House and being such a visible person in the press covering the Trump administration? I don't think people realize that when you are out in the public space as a member of the media that is being attacked by the administration, that can change your life a lot being attacked at the airport if people saw me being attacked um on the street walking out of the white house people would come people would stand and watch me just shake their heads and just follow me i'm like this is not okay um you know there's still residue from it and i talk mm-hmm. about it in the book i have a um sitting appointment every tuesday at 8 15 with my counselor my therapist mm. uh yeah there's residue from that i mean think about it 
you all your head is always on a swivel, you know. Yep. And I live as a free woman, a free yep. person. Your head's always on a swivel, still. And um, lost a, I lost a large amount of my hair from stress. But on the back of the book, if you see that back of that book, that's my hair. <laughs> <It's that. laughs> yep. So, um, you know, it's just, and then I had to move, you know, FBI's been in my home, bomb squads have been in my home. Um, I had a seizure seat bomb. I mean, you know, the guy who was sending out those fake bombs to everybody, right. I got them. I got one before everybody. That was a terrifying um, week in the media. It was, I, let me tell you something. It was terrifying because I realized what it was when we saw it in the media. Right. Boss sent it to me. It went to the Pittsburgh office and he sent it to my home. Wow. Thinking, you know, I used to get mail that way or we don't do that anymore. Or well, I don't work for that company anymore either, but we don't do that. Um, I have a lot of protocols in place of how I receive things. And um, no, it was, it was awful. And when we recognized the package and the device, we were like, oh my God. We got, and it was ridiculous. And my late boss and I, we just, it was crazy. And we had to really talk about it. And then the FBI called me. They were trying to find me because by that time they found me, I had moved because I was like, uh uh-uh, because people were sitting in front of my house and I got children. That's crazy. So so I had to have a house as a decoy while I moved to another house. And the FBI was coming by and they were like, they were knocking on doors. Is this house vacant? Because we're trying to reach her. And they found me. It was crazy. I landed. I just landed and the phone rang and it was FBI. Oh and they said, talk to you. Can we see you? And I was like, how do I know for sure you're the FBI? And they told me to call them back. And we went through a whole series of things because I, I was literally terrified at that time. I, I, they, I can't, I can't imagine. I really can't. I am yeah. actually getting goosebumps when you're talking because this is all so scary. Yeah. And I'm a very, you know me, I'm a strong person, yep. but I was like, Ooh, no. <laughs> and, and I had to make sure and then I let them come to my new home and they said, we have information to let you know that you are in Caesar Sayox, you know, you're in his computer. And if you receive something, I said, I got one better for you. I did receive it. How about that? Mm. A long time ago. And someone else, I can't tell you who it was, someone else who received one of the Caesar Sayox, um, uh, well, was on the list and a very high profile political person um, they called me to let me know that the FBI said that I was on that list and they were trying to see, do you know how to reach her? And I was already warned. So I told them, I said, yeah, I already got it. Mm. But we, the FBI, because I didn't want to jump the gun, but the FBI was a little late on the draw with it. But, um, yeah, it was, and I had my security team and everybody, you know, telling me how to survive and keep moving. And by the grace of God, I'm still here. All of that is because... You cover the White House. Because I mean, no, it's because so I silly. Because I ask questions of a community that's underserved. Mm-hmm. And then, indeed, one of the people who came after me at the at Politicon a couple of years ago on a panel with Tore, he got arrested for January 6th. Wow. And I'm like, and intimidate you. I said, no, 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 no. Trust them, believe they're not. And then January 6th happened. I found out he was arrested. I said, oh, here we go. Wow. I talked about it in the book. It, it, I mean, it's, it, it's a really scary time in that sense that, you know, the folks who are in the fourth estate trying to cover um, all of these issues become targets because they are 
targeted by the, the former president and his supporters. Um, one of the questions I, I've always wanted to ask you um, is how do you approach your job every day? I mean, how do you wake up and go into the White House and stay true to who you actually are? Because that's something that you're capable, you're, you know, very, very capable of doing and you demonstrate that. But you're also in, you know, in your questions, um, always staying true to the community that you um, are coming from. How do you do that? I've done done nothing wrong. And I walk in that truth. Mm. I've done nothing wrong, so I'm going to continue to ask. And not only that, my working class parents from Baltimore, Maryland, never imagined that five presidents would call their little baby girl's name, okay? Mm. And she would be asking them questions for 25 years, become the longest serving black woman journalist in the White House. From working class parents in Baltimore, I would do myself a disservice if I walked away from that. I walk in truth. I've done nothing wrong. I have. I feel guilty for nothing. The right. problem is whoever came after me. Because if you understand civics, U.S. government, U.S. history, the press is the the the, the fourth estate. The press is in the First Amendment. Yep. Freedom of the press. Yep. Kerner Commission even talked about black folks in the press being in these high spaces to diffuse any tensions in the community by asking questions. The Kerner Commission report commissioned by then President LBJ. I know we're not using it now, but, but <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> but we need to remember this stuff. That's why they don't want us to learn American history because if we did, we would we would behave differently in the present. Um, one of what's your craziest and day? That, and that's the point. That's the point. I am right. I understand. I understand what is in place for me to do what I'm doing, right. and I've done nothing wrong. So the dangerous thing are people who understand what government is about, and we're not shading facts or skirting around issues. We're, we're dealing straight with the issues. Right. So that, you know, you got me all riled up this morning. It's only 8. eight I'm riled up every morning, especially when the well, caffeine hits I, April. I am riled up. It depends <laughs> upon what the topics are, but I, I definitely rile myself up every morning. So just welcome Welcome here to to the space in which we are riled. Um, what's the it's craziest? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> well, you know what's so beautiful about it is like hosting a morning show. I don't have a long day ahead. You know, I only have one job now instead of two, and so I have the one job, and then I don't. I have, you know, I, I'm I'm done. So what? So so how do you get me unriled so I can go do my day? Because I'm well, I, I do I do exercise. Exercise helps me un unrile. <laughs> That's not even a word, I'm but you go, know what I'm, I'm saying. I definitely get on my I get on that treadmill and I run like I'm trying to train for the apocalypse, which you know sometimes it feels like we are in. Um, what's the craziest day you ever had covering the White House? Like, take us inside the the day where you were like, "This is nuts." Um, the day that uh, the king, the king statue was being, um, uh, I guess, revealed, commemorated, mm. uh, President Obama, we had to jump out of those vans and run to beat the president on the stage. And I'm telling you, I thought I lost a lung. <laughs> and I was like, you have to be fit to be in pool duty. I was like, oh, oh Lord. <laughs> This is a lot for us. I said, <laughs> that was crazy. I remember that. Um, it's a couple of things, but I remember um, I remember one day, you know, when the Pope was um, with Obama and I was in the pool. I was in the pool for Obama and for Trump. When Trump and Obama went over office 
And when Trump had, um, when, you know, when presidents bring the new president mm-hmm. in, I was there for that. That was crazy. Um, that's when he was, he was so in shock and in awe that, oh, wow, he didn't realize how much it was you know, there. And they, they spent more time and he was praising Obama. And then it quickly turned. I remember being in the uh, pool when the Pope came and I remember people saying, I need to sneeze. This is before COVID. I need to sneeze. This is with Obama and, and Pope Francis. I need to sneeze. I need to sneeze. So the president can say, I mean, not the president, so the Pope can say, bless you. I was like, y'all need to stop. That was the funniest thing. Was are so you kidding funny. me? So so, so the Pope and the president are in front of y'all. And in the back, somebody's like, I need to sneeze so the Pope can bless me. Yeah. Wild. Was, God, People was, are so funny. It was crazy. I love that. And I, but so I'll funny. never forget that day. The Pope. Pope Francis was at the White House and it was so interesting. Then they broke out one of the South Lawn. One of my favorite gospel songs is Total Praise by Richard Smallwood. I lost my mind. Mm. I was like, you know, being with Clinton, with Mandela, you know, Mm. meeting. Yeah. um, That was something. Going to Robben Island, being in the presence of Nelson Mandela. I was never, I, w- I was born, I was eight months old, eight or nine months old when Dr. King was assassinated. But for me, Nelson Mandela, being in the presence of Nelson Mandela. Um, hmm. Oh, uh, George W. Bush, when we talked a lot about race and he talked about the subtle and overt racism that was being uh, exhibited against Barack Obama when he was running for president. Mm. And then the next day after he won the election, looking into the Oval Office while we were waiting for President Bush to come out and speak to the press about marking this moment, he raised his hand, like raised the roof off to me through the doors of the French, the French doors of the Oval Office, like he was raising the roof because Obama won. Wow. Yeah. I never Um, heard that before. Oh, it's true. Yeah. And um, let me see what else. Because you never heard it because, you know, it happened to me. You, it, right. Yeah, 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 whatever. The erasure. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> no, that's and, an important point. I, you know, that's something that it happened to you. And, and oftentimes, you know, some of the some of the people that you're surrounded by in the White House press briefing room, you know, they get outsized attention on what they say versus what you say. And this exactly. is why I wanted to take the, the full segment today to talk to you. Um, because what you have done over the course of five presidents, um, I, I hope, inspires a whole new generation um, to yeah. do the same exact thing and to have the same stories and, and also to stay true to who they are. Because I think that's something in your work that comes through very clearly. The book is titled Black Women Will Save the World, an anthem, April Ryan. You can come back on the show anytime. I'll rile you up you any call morning. Me. I would love it. Call me. I'll, okay. I'll okay. Well, we'll make a date. Another date. What in the yeah. future? Everybody buy the book. Everybody buy the book. Yes, everyone buy the book, please. We we our numbers are looking really good, guys. Please. Excellent. I want you to make the bestsellers list. I want it. I want it for you. People are connecting with this. This this book has been long overdue. Black women, white women, everyone is connecting with this book, but I can show up and only write about my experience as a black woman. And I'm telling you, it's a celebration. It's my love song, love letter to America about 
us or learning about us. I love it. I know a whole generation of black women and girls are going to be inspired by um, your historic career that is still very much ongoing because you're still doing it. You're still out here. Um, Black Women Will Save the World is the book. April Ryan is the author, veteran White House correspondent. Thank you so much for being here. It was so great to have you. Yes. Great to chat. Yes. (laughs) Please stay safe. Yes, I trust and believe that that that's number one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.